okay, you know those moments in life where like, no, you wouldn't be like this because you are such an on-the-spot thinker. But you know when something happens and then you go home and you're like, oh, I should have said that. Oh, that happens to me all the time. No, you're way faster on your feet. So I was just at Gregory's getting a coffee and I was like humming to myself and kind of dancing to music. And this guy goes, ugh, you're so weird. Ah. And I just didn't know what to say. I was like, oh, I'm weird. Oh. And then I walked away and I was like, I should have said, I'm limited edition, baby. <laughs> but I didn't. What? I just. This is New York. I think a simple fuck off will suffice. I'm limited edition. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow. Workshop that a little I've more. I've really, my really gone downhill in my old age. Hot Cougar Summer 2.0 is right around the corner, so maybe I'll get some of that, you know, some of that back. A little more pepper in my stuff. Yeah, and we, you, you don't need to be given that mild kitten summer that you're you're serving right now. You're giving a mild kitten spring. I'm limited edition, baby. Start the episode. Well, we are here, and right before we got into the booth, we're doing a little foreshadowing because we're getting really, really excited for Obsessed Fest. Oh, excited. <laughs> So don't forget, Obsessed Fest is coming up. It's Joey and I, it's Jillian and Patrick and Rabia and Maggie and Patrick's love of his life, don't tell Steve, Payne Lindsay, <laughs> Daisy Egan, who just started season two of Strange and Unexplained, the ladies from Let's Go to Court, they are so funny, the Generation Y guys and more. I know some of the and more and you're going to want to want more of the more. What? I make it make sense. And we are going to be announcing more live shows, but you you can get your festival tickets now because when they're gone, they are absolutely gone because Ohio does not mess around with capacity. We all know that. If there is one thing that Ohio will not stand for, it's getting over capacity. <laughs> so you can find out more information and book your tickets today at ObsessedFest.com. We cannot wait to see you. We're getting really excited. Even though it's in September slash October, we cannot wait. I'm going to hug you all. <laughs> Season 7, Episode 10, Girl Interrupted, tells the story of the disappearance of Jennifer Kessie. A beautiful and vivacious young woman never shows up for work. And that second, I knew something was wrong. Surveillance footage appears to hold a clue, but only ignites frustration. Every step the guy takes, the bar covers his face. How is that possible? And loved ones are left imagining the worst. They don't take females to sit them in a corner and look at them. I'm sorry. The investigation tracks dozens of suspects. She told me these guys are creeping me out a little bit. He constantly told her, I love you, I want you back, and she was telling him it's over. But the mystery persists, leaving a community gripped with fear. We had never had a case like this in Orlando. A 20-something girl has vanished. And for years, family and friends struggle to find answers. Could Jennifer have possibly been put into an empty unit and been banned and gagged? I don't know, but I don't believe that Jen's dead. So we are in one of our favorite places for fun, but not so favorite places for true crime. Y'all, we are back in Florida, but the good news is we're in Orlando. Oh, we honey. love Orlando. I mean, love Orlando, but it's still Florida. <laughs> Florida. Florida. Florida, where you can bask in the sun, hug Mickey Mouse if you so choose, and possibly get your face gnawed off by a tweaked out Ron DeSantis high on bath salts. Oh, it sounds <laughs> lovely. Also, there's alligators there. Guiders. January 23rd, 2006. It's early evening in Orlando, Florida. And 24-year-old Jennifer Kessie is driving home after a long day of work. As tired as she is, she couldn't be happier with the way things have been going at the office these days. She's been getting great feedback on her performance as a financial analyst. She actually got promoted three times in the first year, year and a half of, of getting out of college. It is January 23rd, 2006, and we meet Papa Drew with his beautiful crystal blue eyes. And he's here to tell us that she is absolutely nailing life. She's a financial analyst. No idea what that is, but there are so many jobs. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. 
what do you, you analyze? Fine. I, okay. Yeah. I, we're not smart people. <laughs> but she's doing so amazing. She's been promoted three times in one year. We love to see it. Yeah. And Jennifer's mom, Joyce Kessie, is also here. And she says from the get-go, Jennifer had a big personality and was a captivating child. Just like really likable and lovable. Yeah. We see all these pictures and she, from this precious little girl. Now, I love it when a parent brags about their child because there's just nothing more adorable. You know, we've heard it all, but she says, well, she, you know, she was speaking in sentences at age one. I was like, I mean, okay, I'm here for it. I love it. We see home movies of Jennifer. She so was cute. outgoing and smart. She loved to read and learn. She was a nightmare in high school, though. Oh, wait. But also, did you notice that some of the pictures of her from her childhood, she resembles Jean Benet Ramsey a little oh, bit? Oh, I did. Just Beautiful. that perfect, like, angelic little face. Yeah. And she said, you know, Mama Joyce said she was a nightmare in high school until she went to college. And I was kind of the same. same. I didn't really appreciate my parents until I went away. Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, it's just hard being a person on your own. I know this is hard for you to imagine, but um, I had a real problem with authority in high school. Wait, what? <laughs> I didn't like anybody telling me what to do, no. where to go, how to be. Uh-huh. My dad used to say, you know what, you son, you should just go out and make your first million while you still know everything. <laughs> I was. I use that still to this day. But she went to the University of Central Florida. She got good grades. She was in a sorority, AD Pi. I never knew anything about sororities until I got on Bama Rush TikTok. What? Yeah. Did you? You didn't watch Bama Rush TikTok? What the fuck is Bama Rush TikTok? U- University of Alabama. Roll, Alabama. Alabama. <laughs> roll Tide. It's they're they're rushing sororities and they had to like document their outfits of the day. Where you were did, they rushing to? They, Anyway, Bama Rush TikTok, if you know, you know. On that cool January evening, Jennifer's en route to a new condo she's just purchased for herself. It was right across the street from the biggest, beautiful new mall that you could possibly have in America at the time. And that attracted Jennifer. She she was a shopper. And I was proud. At the age of, what, 23? She was sitting there in a gorgeous place that she bought with all her own money. Jennifer is headed home to her new condo, which she bought at 23. Hello, Good for you, Jennifer. Now, this neighborhood, we should say, has some rough spots, but there's a brand new, beautiful mall across the street, and there's a lot of construction going on because the city is trying to clean up that neighborhood, and that makes her feel safe with being in this a little bit dicey neighborhood. Right, because she's near the mall. I feel that sometimes when there's, like, lights and people, you just feel a little more secure. Now, Jennifer, we find out, had a habit of calling close friends and family to let them know where she was just to be safe. Now, we learned that this is something that was instilled in her by her parents because before they had kids, they were held up at gunpoint and it was a very traumatic experience. I've been held up at gunpoint. What? For a bottle of cologne in Meridian, oh, I didn't. Mississippi. Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, take the cologne. Yeah. Do you want anything else you see in this trunk? Y- yes. You can have whatever you'd like. You like some jumper cables? Yeah. Take them. Give- I don't give two shits. <laughs> oh, man. You want that these shoes? Is so sketchy. <laughs> you want these shoes? This is going to be a talking head we see a lot. We meet Shannon Butler. She's an Orlando reporter who wants to show us her reporter hair, which I'm quite frankly enjoying. She spent a lot of time calling people just to be safe and I remember thinking like why is she so almost obsessive about it and later on I learned that was because Drew and Joyce had instilled that in her now we just had a little conversation before we started I grow to love Shannon in this episode she's strong she's got opinions she loves this case Joey is not picking up what she is putting down no I grew to hate her okay I'm the opposite. I do not enjoy this woman. I don't like her energy. I think she centers herself in this case. I don't like it. All right. All right. We'll see if you're Team Shannon or not Team (laughs) Shannon. But yeah, Jennifer always checked in with her family almost to an obsessive degree because she just got back from vacation with boyfriend Rob Allen, who's British. Don't fall for it. (laughs) Also, Rob Allen. To me, sounds like the name of, like, a furniture store. Yeah. <laughs> like, get your dream waterbed here at Rob Allen. Shop Rob Allen's <laughs> furniture store. Ding. Just off the highway, <laughs> right behind a red roof inn. <laughs> These days, their relationship is long distance. Rob lives about four hours away in Fort Lauderdale, so the couple treasures their getaways. Obviously, there was difficulties with both of us living in separate cities, but we made the most of spending weekends with each other. We'd go to the beach, we'd go to bars or restaurants, or we'd do just general fun things that, you know, when you first start dating, you tend to do. Right, so Rob 
lives in Fort Lauderdale, British. Again, don't fall for it. Don't be charmed by the accent. I don't know why we're always charmed by the accent, but just skip over it. While Jennifer lives in Orlando and Rob says all these nice things, you know, they had sort of had, you know, been meeting each other's friends and family and really integrating their life. Now, back to this car ride home on the 23rd, Jennifer is on the phone with her younger brother, Logan, and says that they were super close and very protective. And that is like me and my brothers. Because me and my sister, my brother and I, we can hate each other until someone comes for the other one. And they're like, what are you talking to my brother about? Yeah. But, you know, nobody hates a sibling like a sibling, but you better not mess with my sibling. Also, like, I learned a long time ago that if you are are in a relationship and they are complaining about someone in their family, you let them complain. You do not contribute. Yeah. You just sit there and listen. "Uh No, I'm with you. I hear you. Because the minute you go like, yeah, you know, your mom can be a little. What'd you say about my mama? It's very that. When Jennifer gets home, she's ready to take it easy. She'd slept at Rob's the night before and is just content to be in her own place. She was going to have some dinner and just go to bed. She was tired. Uh, She ended up talking to her mom that night, and she ended up talking to her best friend that night. She also puts in her nightly call to Rob. So that night that she gets home from work, she had been at Rob's the night before. She had planned on having like a chill night at home. Watch some shits creep. Yeah, why not? She called I was gonna say Real Housewives, but you know. <laughs> she called her mom, she called her bestie, and she called Rob right before she went to bed that night. Those nights are the best, by the way. Yeah. Just being in your house by yourself, yeah. smoking a little. And just watching dumb TV. I know. Sometimes you just want to be by yourself. Absolutely. And I want to tell the world, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Don't touch me. So (laughs) she goes to bed. But before she goes to bed, she talks with her boyfriend, Rob. Did you already say that? I already said that. Thanks for listening. Okay, cool. I'm so glad I joined this podcast. Now, the next morning (laughs) at Westgate Resorts, where Jennifer works, they're very confused because... Jennifer hasn't showed up for work. And she had a meeting at 11 a.m. And I found this weird. They didn't elaborate. The boss calls her and then calls her parents. I was like, how'd you have that number? They must have been a family friend or Or something. something. Yeah, they don't really elaborate. And the boss is like, is Jennifer sick? And everyone is super confused. Jennifer loves work. She's never late for work. She's like, you know, you and me dancing in the elevators when she gets to work, you know? (laughs) Well, they talked to her the night before. There was nothing wrong. Yeah. Also, what a down bitch. The manager was like, I'm going to call you your mom. I know. Please call my mom. Make sure I'm okay. (laughs) So Papa Drew calls Jennifer immediately to try and get a hold of her. Now they have a rule that Papa Drew tells us about, and that is regardless of your age, if your mom and dad calls, you better pick up that damn phone. I personally don't care for that rule because (laughs) you might be calling at an inconvenient time. I could be entertaining a gentleman caller with my humps. My lovely lady lumps. (laughs) Check it out. Check it out. Do you drive the brothers crazy? (laughs) Do you do it on the daily? Do you? Now, just quick question. I don't want to veer too far off topic. Do you call your boyfriend a gentle man or a gentle boy? Okay, you you are not better than I, me. You do the, you are you are pulling the same antics as me. <laughs> you up to the same old shit as me. You're not better than me. Let me just remind you. <laughs> Jennifer Kessie's parents are on high alert. She hasn't shown up at work, which is highly unusual for her, and she's not answering her phone. They immediately contact her boyfriend, Rob. He's in a meeting, but still takes the call. He tells them he hasn't heard from Jennifer either. Jen would always call me or text me on her way to work. So Papa Drew calls Jennifer, and it goes directly to voicemail. I hate that, because I'm always like, is your phone off? Did you not charge it? Did you turn it? I hate a direct to voicemail. Or did you hit decline? Yeah. Because in my mind, you hit decline, and I go through the roof. Oh, absolutely. My boyfriend, I went to, like, hit decline on one of his phone calls. He was like, don't hit decline. You just let it ring. And I was like, oh, oh. He's like, no, they'll think they'll know that you dropped your missed call. Sent them to voicemail, absolutely. I was like, okay. Well, anyway, that gives Papa Drew, his spidey senses go off big time. Do you get that? Oh, yeah. I'm a crazy person. Papa Drew calls the boss back and says they couldn't reach her. Then Papa Drew calls the boyfriend, Rob. Rob hasn't heard from her since the night before. And then Rob says something really astute. He says, I mean, I didn't hear from her in the morning, which was weird. We usually talk in the morning. But, like, we had just gotten home from vacation. And you're kind of like, that day after you get home from vacation is all, you know, sort of, you know, weird. Like, you know, you're tired. You know, you're rummaging for your toothbrush in your bag. It's just weird. So Rob actually didn't think anything of it, even though, They 
usually touched base every morning. Yeah. And so after about an hour, Papa Drew, Mama Joyce, and Brother Logan hop in a car and baby... They head to Orlando yep. from Tampa. And I'm like, yes, yeah. this is exactly what I would do because these are some down bitches and they are on it. I'm not waiting around. Yeah. I'm just going to show up at your house. And if you answer the door, I'm going to be like, well, this is what you get for yeah. letting it go to voicemail. <laughs> yeah. I hope you got lunch because I want some <laughs> cold cuts. I'm starving. There better be a Lunchable in that fridge. Going out there, I called the manager of the complex and I said, hey, my daughter, we can't reach her. Can you go down and see if her car is in her parking spot? out that the Kessies know so much about Jennifer. Now, I don't begrudge them of this. I just, I'm not from one of those families where we share a lot of information like that. Like, I remember in one episode, someone knew their daughter's license plate number. I doubt my mom even knows the make and model of my car. I will probably be that kind of crazy person that's like, you know, give me all the information because, you know, I'm two sheets to the wind. Um, But... <laughs> Papa Drew calls the management company of Jennifer's building and says, check my daughter's spot. It's spot 2226. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. How did, I mean, good on you, but how did you know that? I mean. I couldn't even tell you a family member's phone number. Yeah. Well, yeah. truly. But he says if she's home, her black Chevy Malibu will be in the spot. Uh, this gave me chills yeah. from head to toe. The manager goes and checks. He went down and says, car's not there. When the family arrives, they enter Jennifer's condo, and nothing appears out of place. So the family got into the condo. Nothing seemed out of place. Apparently, her kicking vase was still, you know, there and intact. <laughs> and her suitcase was there from her trip, but she didn't unpack. Let me tell you, Jennifer, Yeah. there is nothing more depressing than getting home from a vacation and unpacking. When Patrick and I were on tour, I didn't unpack till the muggles needed their suitcase back that I had borrowed. Yeah. I was like, I'll get a new toothbrush, I'll get new face wash, I'll get new socks and headphones. <laughs> I'm not opening that suitcase. No, no, the only thing that's worse than that is realizing you're in a loveless marriage. Anyway. Anyway. Uh <laughs> Jennifer's apartment was in its place. Yeah, so the only things that are missing are her purse, her keys, and a cell phone. But then the family notices something unusual. Jennifer usually carries mace with her, and she left her can of mace on the counter. So they're like, oh, we call in the cops. Yeah, I was like, how dangerous is this area? Well, that also, she's like, like, that's so Southern. Carry mace? Just to carry a weapon with you. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. Something. Also, it's good to note that her bed definitely had been slept in and some outfits were laid out. And, like, the towel that she probably had used that morning was, like, damp and on her bed. Also, hang up your towels because they can get moldy. <laughs> they immediately call police. A police officer arrives. And looked around and he said, I had a fight with her boyfriend. She'll be back and walked out. The Kessies called Jennifer's friends, but no one has heard from her. They need to get the word out. So at this point, the Kessies decide to call the cops. And this makes me so mad. The police show up. They uh, take one look around the apartment and the cop is like, ah, she probably had a fight with her boyfriend. She'll be back and walks out. Now, honestly, sometimes I feel like I am just beating my head against a fucking wall. The cycle of repetition of men who just think that women get their heart broken by men and then they just make irrational decisions all the time. It is one of the most exhausting merry-go-rounds that I have ever been on. And trust me, I know merry-go-rounds. I was fucking married. <laughs> and it's just like, no, a woman's reaction does not always have to do with something that a man has said or done. Well, also, like, where do you think she went? She was like, you know what? I'm sick of my boyfriend. I'm going to Ann Taylor Loft. Like, where do you think she's going? And also, what and what if she was a lesbian, sir? Exactly. And women can break women's hearts, too. Everyone can have their heart broken. We had flyers printed with Jen's picture and a description of her car with a license plate number so that at rush hour, we already had her friends and family standing at the key intersections that her car drove through to go to and from work. The Kessies go zero to Breckenridge, and by rush hour, they have flyers printed. Everywhere. Fuck what you heard, because the Kessies are not playing your reindeer games today, not with their baby girl. Honey, I was amazed when I saw this, because they make those flyers. By rush hour, they have friends and family handing them out at intersections that she would drive through to get her face out there. Baby, this is how you do it. But they understand that when someone goes missing, 
time is your enemy. Yeah. And, and they did a great job of getting her face and her information out into the community very quickly. Yeah. And so upon further investigation of the complex that Jennifer, you know, had bought into, there was a lot of concerning things. So the episode says only about half of the units were occupied, yeah. which means like less eyewitnesses, less eyeballs around. Yeah. I did some research and that number is far lower than half. Really? Yeah. It was kind of a little bit of a ghost town. Wow. Beyond that, there were no cameras yeah. in the parking lot, but my research also found there was no cameras anywhere. Hallways, there were no security. They they only specified the parking lot in the episode, right? Wow, yeah. There were no cameras anywhere. And all of those hallways were dark. Yeah. Very dark. Yeah, they're outside. They're yeah. like, you know, like little like tunnels, right? Yeah. Connecting all these units. There's no security camera in the parking lot. And the gates are left open to allow construction crews in and out. I believe it's not outside of the realm of possibility for someone to have been watching her because how easy to watch someone's comings and goings. The gates out in front weren't closed. They were just open. Anyone could come and go as they pleased. I was like, can we just hire a guy for $15 an hour just to open and close the gate? There's like three trucks that come in and out of here all day long. (laughs) Keep the gate open. You know that thing that's supposed to secure people and make them feel safe in their residence? It's fine. We can't be opening and closing that all day long. And because of that, it is a distinct possibility that she could have been watched. Yes. Daily. Somebody could have been working out there and just seeing her come and go, they knew what her routine was. There are all those little things that do make you feel safer, and a gate is one of them. And be crazy. Put a person at that gate. I agree. Be wild. I agree, especially when there's so few occupied condos there. So the media outlets pick it up immediately and they start covering Jennifer's story. Now, Shannon Butler, TV reporter, she's back. <laughs> Joey's Joey is not getting margaritas and matching tattoos with this woman anytime oh, soon. Oh, no, I do not like this woman. There's a reason she got hired because this woman is literally like a walking John Grisham meets Danielle Steele <laughs> the way she talks about this case. And she says, oh, the station received a flyer of Jennifer Cassie via fax. Remember fax? Yes. My God. Anyway, Shannon says, normally with these types of stories, you don't just air them. You wait for the police to do their thing and you get more information from them. But she says, for whatever reason, we just went with the story. We didn't wait. And she goes to Jennifer's complex to interview the family and she remembers how easy it was to get in and the security gates were wide open. You didn't need a code or anything. She also remarked that when she got there and spoke with the family, they literally had no information. They didn't know anything. And I did get a little Nancy Grace vibes from Shannon. Absolutely. But I felt like she really cared. I felt, well, she kind of like next levels it, but I it rubbed you the wrong way. I get it. Later that day at 5.30, a detective is assigned to the case. I mean, bravo, Orlando. I love your fast passes and your your fast police work. Nah, they're going to be trash in the end. It's fine. <laughs> so by 9 p.m. that night, Jennifer is officially entered into the missing persons database. Yeah, and a bolo is issued for both Jennifer and her Chevy Malibu. What's a bolo me, baby? It's a be on the lookout. You are so cute, my little true crime baby. Look at me. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> we didn't have a direction even to go to say, okay, we need to go this direction. What are we going to do about it? We had nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you have a female taken, they don't take females to sit them in a corner and look at them. I'm sorry. Is she still alive? If she's not alive, how was she killed? Is she fighting? I hope she's fighting. I hope she goes down fighting. Now, remember, the family had nothing to go off of. They have no starting point. So not only are they terrified, they're deeply frustrated because these parents are not sit around and wait kind of people. So now by Wednesday, the paper and the local news do a piece on Jennifer, including a description of her car and flyers have been distributed all over the city. But there's still no signs of her. Yeah. So then Papa Drew does something really interesting because... Papa Drew voice is something that not a lot of parents do on this show. And he basically goes to like a dark place. Yeah, he does. And, and you know, I get that because whenever something bad happens, people think, oh, don't think of that. Look on the bright side. How do you do that? 
I in don't know. any situation, right? If I do something, you know, good, I always focus on what I could have done better or I focus on the negative. You know, our brains immediately kind of like go to the negative. Like, you know, criticism has a bigger impact than compliments. And Papa Drew is really honest about it. He's like, you know, if she's somewhere, I hope she's fighting. Is she alive? Does someone have her? He kind of says these things that you're not supposed to say. And I kind of respect and appreciate yeah. that because how can your mind not go to a dark place and you do have to keep hope right you have and, and this family keeps hope alive well, let me tell you that but I just appreciated his little bit I didn't appreciate him you know I'm not saying I appreciate the darkness but I appreciated his honesty you know listen, I think it's very hard in these situations as a family member of someone who is missing how do you hold space for hope yeah. and reality yeah. all at the same time because you know hopefully the, the best outcome is you do find that person and then you can say like yeah. we fought the whole time but there is a part of you too that's like I have to accept reality yeah, yeah it's it's hard and he is i was i was taken aback by his frankness yeah. but there was i was like you know it's also admirable i get yeah. it i get where you're at so finally on thursday morning the police get a call with a potential lead a resident living at huntington on the green an apartment complex less than a mile away from jennifer's condo reports seeing a black chevy malibu like the one on the news in her parking lot when we found Jennifer's car, we definitely knew something was wrong. She didn't just run away to take a break. Something bad happened to her. I love people who pay attention. Yeah. Because it's not me. Oh, I love Same. you. So how did she, she saw it on TV and she's like, that car doesn't belong here. That belongs to them. Thank God for people who pay attention. Yeah. It's moments like this when the nosy neighbors work pays off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, not like Tara Grinstead's neighbor. She was just nosy for nosy's sake. <laughs> so the investigators show up and they are able to confirm that this is in fact Jennifer's car. Oh. <gasps> now this area is very well known for drug activity and I have a couple of numbers that I'll bring up in a little bit, but Sergeant Dan Brady from the Orlando Police Department said that she didn't run away. Something bad happened to her. Okay, sir. Yes, thank you, of course. So now the investigators decide to call Jennifer's boyfriend, Rob Allen, and ask him to come down to the crime scene. He had previously told them that the last time they spoke, they did get into a little bit of an argument. So investigators want Rob at the scene because, and this is fucked yeah. up. This is fucked yeah. up. Sometimes in our investigations, we're looking for a reaction. We want to see how you know a normal person would react to something and how a guilty person would react to something. Rob agrees to go. I just, you're just praying, you're hoping that nothing's in there. I guess it was just like a pit in my stomach, just thinking to myself, is this really happening? Is this something that I've really got to go through? They plan to open up the trunk in front of him to see what Rob's reaction will be. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I get it. You know, it's usually the husband or the boyfriend. And it just seems like some kind of weird form of torture to me. I don't know what else to say, but they're like, they didn't pre-open it. They're going to open it like, it, you know, it's Christmas morning. Yeah. Like, it's a surprise. And if she's in there, what? You're going to see how he acts? They were like, well, let's see what happens. That just seems oddly psychologically it seems sadistic yeah, to me just ugh. i i mean i don't know whose idea what that was they're like you know what we should do we should get the boyfriend down here and open up the trunk in front of him and it, well if god forbid like worst case scenario she's in there we'll know yeah we'll, we'll know, know by his reaction but this is kind of where i fell in love with down bitch shannon the reporter because she was like he doesn't know what's gonna be in there and he's like that anxiety and whatever is gonna happen next is gonna live with them forever and i was like she's right like that's that's kind of how i felt yeah. But this is when I started to really dislike her because she's like, Can you imagine? He doesn't know if Jennifer's arm is in there, a leg. He loves this woman. They just went on vacation. What if it was Jennifer's arm or her leg? Shannon, are you okay? I think you may have watched that Brad Pitt movie Seven one too many times. Oh I didn't. That not, movie is so scary. Oh my scary. god, terrifying. But also, I'm like, I, we didn't need that. We get it. We get like worst case scenario. So all to say, they open it, and you know she's not in there. Right. And Rob is like, I mean, thank God she's not because. But also, I'm a little sad because now, like, where is she? And they 
look into her car and the driver's seat had been moved back. There was a DVD player in the car, which wasn't taken. Also, there was tons of gas in the car. They knew that the car hadn't been driven much and they searched the car. And it's then that they noticed that there's surveillance cameras on the roofs of like the pool house yep. and some other areas in this apartment complex. Remember, we are not in Jennifer's apartment complex yeah. right now. We're like a mile away. And they have a couple angles to go off of here. So now there's a wide shot of the car backing up into a parking spot and a man gets out, but the footage is so grainy. Grainy as fuck! (laughs) That investigators can't make out any distinguishing features, even though, let me tell you something, when I saw that man get out of her car, I was, it it made all the hair on my body stand straight up. It's very eerie. Yeah, and this gets crazier because, remember, we saw some crazy shit on See No Evil. You will not believe this, though. The driver also walks right into the path of a closer camera, but what at first appears to be a lucky break only muddies the investigation. So the driver gets out and he walks by a closer camera. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to see this dude's fucking face. However, remember in the Jameson family episode where it was sort of like freeze frame every couple seconds? You know, this is like, you know, 15 years ago. So it's like every three seconds is a frame. We saw that in that Jameson family footage, which made it so, so eerie. And so this is what's so crazy. Every time this piece of shit is walking, he is strategically placed. Oh, I just got chills. I know, I know. He is strategically placed behind a bar or a sign or anything that would let us easily identify him. It almost looks like it's from a movie. Yeah, there's no image of his face. And it's like, what are the odds that this would happen? And my heart just breaks for that family because they get the phone call from the police letting them know that they have footage. But I can't even imagine how high their hopes were that when they heard about this footage only to get the back of some dude's head I'd be like why the fuck did you even bring me down here and waste my time with this monkey shit? It, it honestly looks planned. It, it totally lo- it does. It looks choreographed. We can see the back of this guy's clothes and what he's wearing is pretty basic. It's like a white t-shirt, khaki pants. But Papa Drew says if you look closer, you can see he's got a rubber band around the ankle of his pants. Like maybe he's a gardener working with a trimmer. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Yeah, like if you think about the thing about the trimmer and like you don't want it to like catch your pants. Oh, God. You it. know, if you're going to okay, have that's... you ever gardened? Anyway. I'm like, like, do you want to ask me that question? I, I like the edgers, you know, those little, like, those things, the propellers. Duck, 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 yeah, duck, yeah, duck, I don't duck, fuck duck, with duck, that duck. shit. But also, Mama <laughs> Joyce says, she goes, immediately she says it's an adolescent. She was like, the, he has abnormally big feet and he has gangly arms like Joey. I was like, where is this going? <laughs> <laughs> She's got, he's got gangly little arms that, yes. that like an orangutan. Monkey You're arms. You're the cutest little orangutan. Oh, thank you. You guys, for those of you who don't follow us on Instagram, Joey accidentally mm-hmm, posted a thirst trap. It was of, an accident. He put it on the disappear. He was like, sup, bro? This is my picture. These are my pecs. These are my arms. And he, quote, accidentally posted it on our disappeared stories. I meant stories. to post it to my own. Uh-huh. Yo, buzzer. And then he, he was like, oh, sorry. I meant to post that on my own. And then someone messaged me and goes, oh, he really does have long arms. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that message. Detectives speculate that Jennifer could have gone to the apartments with the person caught on camera. But police dismissed the theory after learning about Jennifer's straight-laced way of life. She wasn't living a risky lifestyle. She was the safest, smartest person amongst her friends that they referred to her as Mother Hen. So now the police are back to thinking, did Jennifer have like a hidden lifestyle? Did she get in a car with some dude to get drugs, got too fucked up and was like lost trying to walk home? But that just didn't fit who Jennifer was. She was very straight laced. Her friends called her mother hen. Mother hen. I know. So they bring the dogs to the parking lot and the pups take the scent from the car straight to her condo and the dogs brought them by the bushes by her condo and they kind of check all this wooded area remember this was again this was an area that was like getting built up and there was this massive complexes being built we see the crime scene photo and down bitch or loudmouth, whatever whichever side you're on Shannon <laughs> was like every time they would come up with something like a shirt or a pair of you know shoes or something that they found Papa Drew would easily identify it as not one of hers 
And I was like, my dad would have no fucking clue what clothes I have. I don't like Shannon. Oh, stop. I do not care for her. I think she was working hard. Over 1,400 people. That is a lot of people. That is a lot. A lot of people yeah. contributed to the search. They searched everywhere for days, and they came up, sadly, with nothing. So now... With no leads, the police decide, as they often do, to take a closer look at the people in Jennifer's life, right? So they zero in on an ex-boyfriend and add him to the list of suspects. Now, this particular guy, he was absolutely heartbroken when Jennifer broke up with him. And he often would reach out and be like, I love you. Can we be together? I want you back. And Jennifer would say like, look, baby, it's it's over. And he had a very hard time accepting this. Yeah, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> so, well, Won't you please let me back in your... No. No. Okay. (laughs) So, now, the night that Jennifer disappeared, her ex-boyfriend was across the street from Jennifer's condo at a place called the Blue Martini. Yeah. And he was very drunk. For a long time, people thought you were awfully coincidentally right across the street, and she goes missing. Jennifer's ex-boyfriend denies any involvement in her disappearance. Across the street. I mean, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. And it wasn't him. Yeah. All to say. I was like, oh, it's the ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to lose my marbles here. Big red flag. So they check into a bunch of the construction workers who had been in and out working, you know, various parts on Jennifer's complex. Some of them had been living in the vacant apartments they found out. Now, here's what I'm going to need you to. I'm going to this. This is a pullover. This is a pullover situation. Now, Jennifer had expressed feeling weird and uncomfortable that there were so many men construction workers around. You know, she said she felt them leering, you know, the kind of. You know, the construction worker cat call, right? Yeah, it makes you very uneasy. Now, this is a real thing. Now, I know a lot of people are going to say, my dad works in construction, my brother works in construction, my partner works in construction. Not all construction men do this. I get it. I know. It's a trope. But it happens. Here's what. We as a society excuse that kind of harassment as normal. Construction workers, stop doing that. You've seen it, right? Oh, absolutely. When a group of men get together, their brain function decreases. <laughs> I don't know what it is about those fucking hard hats. And I listen, and then when you question why would you do that, their defense is like, well, I'm complimenting their looks. And it's like, if you can muster up the balls to comment on my good credit score, (laughs) I would fucking appreciate that a whole lot more than you talking about my ass, legs, and fucking tits. You know what I'm talking about? No, but I mean, like, go up to a woman and say that she's beautiful is one thing, but shouting like, okay, baby, let's slow down, sexy, like, you know, or honking your horn. The insatiable need to let women know that she's nailing it in your eyes is so intense that you have to scream it out loud. It is so like animalistic that you couldn't possibly control that urge to let her know. People think it's a like a trope, like a stereotype, but it's very, very uncomfortable. Oh, it's like all that. Oh, it's just locker room talk. Yeah. But yeah, I have seen it happen where guys have pulled up next to a woman in a car and tried to talk to her. And I'm like, first of all, dude, please tell me how many times this has ever worked for you. Right. <laughs> I promise you it's zero out of however many times you've done it. But, like, are you not even thinking for a second how uncomfortable you're making that person? Yeah. You're in a car. Yeah. And talking to someone, a woman by herself. Shut up. Shut up and get on fucking Tinder. And Jennifer, this was in her home. And she felt this and she had said to Papa Drew. And, like, that can get aggressive. It can get intimidating. It's harassment. And what men need to understand is that catcalling is not cute. It's not funny. It's not a compliment. It's demeaning. Meaning it's disgusting, it's mortifying, okay? Off my soapbox, you guys can continue on with your days. But when I heard that, and the fact that it was happening in the place that she calls home, and she was feeling unsafe, she was feeling weird, that just immediately was like a red flag to me. But as soon as detectives start asking questions, the men who work there are nowhere to be found. They disappeared so quickly, it was amazing. Well, we found out they were all illegal, basically. 90% of them were illegal, and they weren't going to get caught. Yeah, nobody works. 
works there all of a sudden. Now Everybody's listen, gone. I don't love this part. They talk about undocumented workers and how they were the ones who didn't show up. And I'm like, of course they didn't. Cops are sniffing around in regard to a missing person. And if you don't have a green card, you could be deported. That doesn't make you a kidnapper. But the way they discussed yeah. it, I, it made me uncomfortable. Also, we don't know for a fact. They they probably all scattered. Who knew something? Who knew something? Who knew something? You know, what? If, who knows? The point is, there were a bunch of construction guys. None of them were accounted for. All of a sudden, nobody works there. Those gates were open all the time. People were coming up. They were living in the vacant apartments. Yes. There was no sense of security there. There was nobody watching out for anyone. There was nobody making sure that these tenants were safe at all. Yeah. Now, one of Jennifer's co-workers at Westgate Resorts tells the family that there's a guy at work who was married that would ask <sighs> Jennifer out often. I'm exhausted. I can't even... I mean, like, what is wrong with... Why can't y'all... Take no for an answer. Yeah. Papa Drew knew about it because one day Jennifer called him and said, look, there's this dude who keeps asking me out and I don't know how to handle it. I'm very uncomfortable. And her dad said, tell that guy you don't date coworkers. Simple as that. Yeah. And apparently this guy made no secret about the fact that he wanted like Jennifer. Like, he would make it a thing in front of coworkers. And then Papa Drew, once Jennifer, you know, said no to his advances, he didn't take it too well. No, he didn't. Oh, it's the audacity for me. Yeah. Like, God forbid somebody should, you know, reject a male's advances and hurt his little baby ego. Adding to the suspicion, he was late the day Jennifer went missing. Which immediately throws people into, you know, their ears are up, they're watching him. And the next thing out of his mouth was, well, she's probably eaten by gators by now. Now, the day that Jennifer went missing, this guy was late to work. Which doesn't mean he was involved, but it is somewhat suspicious, and so they had to look into it. When his boss chats with him about Jennifer's disappearance, this guy says, well, she's probably been eaten by gators now. Now, sir... I'm assuming you are one of those no means yes kind of dudes by the way you've asked your coworker repeatedly to date you, <laughs> even though you're married and refuse to accept that she's not interested. I'm also going to assume you were born in the shallow end of the Everglades because what kind of brain dead shit eating moron says something like that about your missing coworker that you were harassing up until their disappearance? Is everyone okay in Florida? <laughs> no. I, yeah, and b because his ego was, you know, slightly bruised. So the boss tells the police about that, but it turns out that gross married man actually had been pulled over for speeding that morning, got in a rage, ripped up his ticket, and was taken to jail. <laughs> like, you know what? You know what's a solid alibi? Uh, jail. Jail, yeah. What an angel. What yeah. a sweet baby. Seems like a sweet guy. Seems like someone I would date. Yeah. Call your therapist, Anyway. Sir. Months pass and this tip comes in about a white truck with somebody in the car matching Jennifer's description that turned out to sadly be a false lead. And that brings us to two years later, 2008. New life is breathed into the investigation when a construction worker questioned at the time of Jennifer's disappearance is arrested for statutory rape. My gut has always been that that worker knew something. I don't know if he was the one, but I do think that he knows something. When Orlando detectives speak with him, he confirms doing some work at Jennifer's condominium. So when he's questioned about Jennifer, he says, yeah, I was doing some work on Jennifer's condominium. And I was like, what? Yeah. So what would happen is Jennifer would come home at lunch, let the workers in while standing in the main entrance to the apartment with the door open and she would talk on the phone. Very smart. Yeah. She was no dummy. Yep. And the last time they were in there, she had her dad, Papa Drew, on the phone. And then this guy that was being questioned was like, no, you know what she said? She was like, okay, you guys just finish up. I'll finish up here and lock up when you leave. Now, anybody who knows Jennifer was like, she never would have done that. Yeah. She never would have left someone. And I would never do that. No. I would never leave a stranger in my house. So they were like, that's not the truth is yeah. what that is. What yeah. that is is a falsehood. Yeah, but it's wild because he took a polygraph and he passed. I know. Uh, I know you have feelings on polys. Listen, I looked this up. 
The numbers of accuracy varies on polygraphs from 83 to 87%. And those numbers, those numbers don't work for me. That math doesn't math. And I've said this time and time again, an honest person can be nervous while answering truthfully and a dishonest person might not be anxious at all. So all of those physiological reactions that they're, that, that they think are unique to lying and, and deception just aren't. And like, I recognize that like this was years ago, but polygraphs are still being used. Polygraphs measure one thing, anxiety. Right. And so I would fail a polygraph every time, as would many people. Yeah, except, I mean, but also like, what about people who believe their lies? Uh, like, like your ex. Like all my exes. <laughs> they're like, what? And they're not admissible court. I don't actually know what the point of, I don't know why we even bring it. I don't know why we do them. They are so archaic. Anyway, there's no evidence linking that work, man. To Jennifer. So there's nothing the cops can do. So then they bring up the idea of trafficking. And Orlando does rank in the top 10 of the most trafficked cities. Yeah, like with Las Vegas, Miami, Atlanta, San Francisco. I looked up the numbers. What's the number one? It depends on if you look per capita. But one of them said Las Vegas. And one of them said D.C. Wow. Yeah. Years without answers have taken a terrible toll on Jennifer Kessie's family. I've literally sent myself crazy. I've verifiably gone crazy twice over over this. It makes me nauseous. It makes me nauseous. It makes me want to just curl up in bed. Uh, On a good day, it makes me want to run to the beach and just plant myself and stare out at the water endlessly. So all to say, many years passed, and Papa Drew says, I've gone crazy twice now. And I was like, I mean, a couple less than me, Papa Drew, so (laughs) good for you. I just want to say that my heart breaks for the Kessies. I can't even imagine what this has done to them and their home life. I especially feel for Jennifer's brother, Logan, because I am so close to my sister. I can't even imagine what it would be like to lose her in that way. There's no trail. There's such little information. The frustration must be unbearable. And you know, I'm not very religious, but I pray that this family finds the answers they deserve so they can just go on with some kind of peace. Yeah. So that's kind of where the episode ends. If you know this case, you know this is a fairly well-known case. So I'm just going to give you the updates that I have. This is crazy. Buckle up. So in the years since her disappearance, the Kessie family pushed to obtain the investigative reports and all of the evidence from the Orlando police so that they could pursue their, you know, their own investigation. And the Orlando police kept giving the family pushback. And I get that. Listen, if it were me, I've said this before, I'd want a city to shut down. I'd want the bridges to be shut down, the entrances, the exits. (laughs) I'd want helicopters, floodlights everywhere, because that would be the most important thing to me at the time. But in reality, there are many things that happen in a city all day, all night, all year, and a city can't devote that time. So the Kessies were not pleased with the way that the Orlando police were handling it. So they asked to take over the investigation and the Orlando police were like, go scratch. Absolutely not. Then Drew Kessie was quoted. He said, we firmly believe the department's negligence and lack of competency cost Jennifer the chance to be found. So our team sits ready to show any law enforcement agency where to go, who to speak to and what questions to ask. Now, in 2018, the Kessie family filed a lawsuit against the city of Orlando and the Orlando police. Okay, baby. Yeah. Because they had said that the department, you know, had ignored all of their requests to just take the case file. Yeah. And after that whole long battle, they were able to secure all of Jennifer's case file. Yeah. Which is about 15,000 pages of police records. Now, that cost them about $20,000 of their own money and, you know, court fees and everything. Because here's what. No one's going to protect your family like your loved ones. Oh, absolutely. And that's it. And I applaud them so much. I feel like I'm going to get choked up because, you know, fucking be loud. You know, rules were meant to be broken. Make a fucking ruckus. Fight for what's right. Fight for what's yours. Don't back down because someone says that something. If someone says that they've done all they can, I challenge that all they can. So I fucking love this family. And you just know that they didn't want to hand over that file in case they were actually negligent in any kind of way or anything could come back looking bad on them. Of course, they weren't going to hand that shit over. They did find out more So there's a great podcast called House of Broken Dreams. And I found an interview from November 2020 of the producer of that podcast. 
And there were records and pictures of Jennifer's hood of her car. And the police report seemed to say, and nobody shared this, that someone was absolutely thrown on the hood of the car. And you can see finger markings being pulled down the front of the car. Oh, my God. And this wasn't new evidence. It was evidence never reported or shared with the Kessie family until 15 fucking years later. Wow. And also there was a report of a woman who had seen Jennifer's car around 7.30 a.m. leaving her development driving super erratic and all zigzaggy and she swore she saw two people fighting for the steering wheel. Another woman came forward and said there was a man named Chino who was involved and he was interviewed by police and he said everything I know the FBI has that information and that was never followed up on. So all to say this case the Cassies are not giving up hope on this case and I fucking love them because if someone's not going to fucking do it right Right? You do it your fucking self. Yep. So this case is still active. They still hold hope. And they want to find out what happened to their daughter. Yes. And if anyone out there has any information, you can call the Kessie family tip line at 941 201 Four zero zero nine. You know, like I said before, I'm not very religious, but I'm praying for this family. Listen, it, it's all awful, and they are fighting the good fight. And so I just hand over the files. Yeah, let these families do it. Give them a chance. Let them fight. If you're not gonna do it, let them fucking do it. Agreed. Go off, Kessies. We are here for you. Say something funny. You know what I like about TV reporter Shannon? Ah, uh, what? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Not a thing. You lose, sir. <laughs> you get. Nothing. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped to the ceiling, which now has to be washed. <laughs> bow, 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 da, da. Oh my gosh, we did it! Thank you so much, everyone. If you want more Joey and me, please join us on the Patreon. We call it our Drama Club. That is where we get you your ad free episodes and your bonus content. This month, we will be bringing true crime trivia I can't back wait. to you. You get our close friends circle. We've covered so many bonus TV shows. We've covered Snapped, Evil Lives Here, See No Evil, Who the Bleep Did I Marry? Right now, we are doing the Bananas Pink Collar Crime. <laughs> We're having so much fun there. You can go to our website and click the Patreon link to join. We just absolutely have a blast. And we take your suggestions. We cover whatever you want to hear. Yeah, you tell us what to do. Tell me what to do. You can also find us on social media on Instagram at The Disappeared Pod. You can find Ellen on Instagram at Ellen Marsh. And you can find me at It's Joey Taranto. We're also on Twitter. And join our Facebook group. That is where you're going to meet all your true crime besties. There's a couple little offshoot groups of people who are going to go to Obsessed Fest solo. And the people who are down bitches in all of their respective towns. You can find us there at the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. We are always in there having a blast with I love you. It. We did Sip and See Sunday this past Sunday. We're trying to go live once a week to get back in the habit of seeing you all and connecting with you. We love connecting with all our down bitches. We do, and don't forget about the TikTok. And don't forget about, we, we need to update the TikTok. <laughs> we do. <laughs> and we will see you at Obsessed Fest. We are counting down the days. We love you so much. We love you. Bye. Bye. I could be entertaining a, a gentleman. A, a gentleman? A gentleman. You, I could be entertaining a Gemini. <laughs> Maybe a Capricorn. <laughs> I could be entertaining a gentleman caller with my humps. So, anyway, back to this story. Yo, Moose. (laughs) Season 7, Episode 10, Girl Interrupted, tells... (laughs) 